0: This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. John chapter 20, verse 1. Okay, we can read on the big screen. Now on the first day of the week... This is the first Easter story. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John actually talking about John because he wrote the book and John was Jesus' favorite and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have taken they have laid him. So Peter went out of, out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Verse four. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Okay, John's like competitive here and reached the tomb first. Verse five. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, okay, we get it, you win, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes and they like, took a nap, had a snack, I don't know. And this is where I want to pick up is with verse 11. But Mary, everyone say, but Mary, stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, I love this beautiful picture, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the one at the feet. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be just the gardener, because that's the only one up at O Dark Thirty. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In the last verse, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. If you're taking notes this evening, I've titled uh, my thought tonight, Seeing is Believing. Seeing is believing. Will you pray with me once more? Father God, we are so grateful that we get to see and behold your beauty. Tonight, we pray that you would make your word clear and let it resonate in our heart, and that you would encourage us, let us leave refreshed and built up. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Now, We've all probably seen something in our life that we can't unsee. Whether this is an amazing experience, whether this is a tragic experience, whether this is a horrific experience, a gruesome experience, maybe all combined into one. We've all seen something that we literally can't unsee from our memory or from our eyes. Now, similarly, um, I have been a part of three experiences that um, I cannot unsee, and those would be called childbirth. Now, if you're new to the church, I apologize in advance. There'll be a different communicator next week that will not talk about childbirth. But um, bear with me for a moment as I take you down a little bit of history into the Veach family, procreation, creations, and life. So there's two types of people. One would be On this side, there are the people that are the planners when it comes to bringing life into this world. They read all the books, and they decorate the nursery, and they have the bag packed three months in advance, and they do the Lamaze classes, and they practice giving birth in their living room with a pillow, and they take maternity photos with, like, hearts and on the belly and, like the man's like holding her awkwardly, like stuff like that. No knock against maternity photos. I just didn't want photos of myself when I had extra 50 stacks on me. But you were probably cute, so that's fine. Okay, then there's on this side, is where Chad and I kind of err, and this is like, oh, ignorance is bliss. Like we'll figure this out. Like the baby has to come out somehow. Like we don't have time for classes. Like denial, denial, because this is going to hurt a lot. <laughs> so, um, so we got to this point, and then like a week before Georgia, our firstborn child, was born. I started hitting the panic button for Chad on his behalf because wives do that sometimes. And I'm like, are you sure you're up for this? Like, maybe I should like prepare you last minute and we can just like visualize like what this is going to be like. And are you, he's like, no, we're good. So we did what most any person would do if they need to prepare themselves for a situation. We watched YouTube videos, okay. So we're like educating ourselves and getting real like pumped up. I don't recommend doing this, you know. You definitely like need need to unsee some of that stuff. And so we get to D-Day, delivery day. I'm just calling it D-Day. Okay, we get to D-Day. It is time for Georgia to come out. Chad's actually preaching at a youth ministry and I'm home laboring alone and he's definitely not preaching with his cell phone so I can't get a hold of him. And right after the service, he races home and it is go time. Pain has escalated. We're throwing stuff in the car. We're driving there. And because we're not planners, we don't really know which hospital we're going to. And like, I'm on all fours in the back, like yelling like, oh! it's kind of like a real labor noise. I'm so sorry, but it's kind of real. Okay. And um, we're on our way and he's like, babe, do I turn right? And I was like, are you really going to ask me a question right now? I love my husband. He is so amazing. He's phenomenal, but it was kind of a stressful scene. So we get there, we get to the room, like Georgia was born probably within two hours and we get to the point where she is supposed to come into this world and the midwife told Chad, okay, I want you to count. He's like, I can do this. I'm an athlete. I I can count. Do you want me to count in English and Spanish, Spanglish, Ebonics, tongues? I don't know. So... He starts counting, he counts very slowly, and I'm holding my breath. If you know anything about contractions, I start turning blue because I'm not breathing. And he starts counting one, two. So he gets yelled out by the doctor, he speeds things up, the baby comes out. Everything is fine, I didn't pass out. Okay. So now we're pros, now we're pros, and we come to birth number two. Now my son, Winston, who is unbelievable, I love him, he's two and a half, he needs Jesus. um, His story into the earth is a little bit more prepared. Like, we get to the hospital early, Chad and I are playing... What music were we playing? I think Coldplay, like dancing in the hallway, like bags are so packed, we are pros, like we get there. Now Chad and I like, we feel, this is not for everyone, we feel comforted. Like if something were to go wrong, the more people there, the more possibility of a solution, you know, something like this. Okay. So in our room consists of like three of my sisters, two friends, my mom, his mom, some nurses, like dogs. I don't know. No, just kidding. We don't have dogs. We have kids. (laughs) Um, So let me just paint the scene. So in one corner, I have a friend FaceTiming in another friend from Denver Denver, and her phone case is like little Hello Kitty ears. And in another corner, my mom, who I love, is a savant, but she's somewhat, like, eccentric and she's knitting, like, in my delivery room. And then I have two sisters that were starving. And I'm like, literally, you can't wait to eat. Like, I have to wait to eat. So they bring Chipotle and so it's like, oh, I, that's cool, like, chips and guac, like, I can smell. And then, and then... I'm in transitional labor, as they call it, and I'm about ready to bring Winston into this world, and the pain is extreme, and my eyes are tight, closed, and I can't see all that's going on, but I know there's a lot going on. I can kind of smell the $1.95 extra guacamole, and in the corner of my eye, I peek open, and I'm like, Chad is getting a massage by his mom. And I and in my pain and in the midst of my agony I'm birthing your firstborn son and I can turn and I can kind of see what's happening, but I clench my eyes right back because I really don't wanna see that that is actually happening in my delivery room. See, many of us have our eyes clenched tight from pain. A lot of us have not been in labor and delivery rooms, but similarly, we've experienced extreme pain And we've closed our eyes so extremely to see the things that are happening all around us that Jesus is doing amongst us and in front of us. And we get to this passage and Mary in all her emotion approaches this situation with an emotional response. See, her eyes were blinded by her circumstance and it starts to creep in and she assumes that Jesus had been robbed and taken away. And this beautiful picture of the greatest event in human history where Jesus dies on the cross for you and I and for all mankind and then he is about to rise again from the dead And she cannot see the miracle that is taking place because the pain of her circumstance is fogging and literally filling her eyes with tears. See, something to know about Mary is that in Luke, it says she's been delivered from seven demons. Now, theologically, that's not necessarily demons coming out of her, but they believe that it is actually emotional demons, torment, anxiety, instabilities, evilness that seeps into our mental state. And she's in this place of torment and she gets delivered from all of these things. See, just because you've been free of something doesn't mean that it's difficult to live freely. So she's on her journey and she gets saved. She's a follower of Jesus. She actually follows in Jesus' ministry in his first year of ministry. She, she travels with him for about two, two and a half years along with uh, one or two other women because how many of you guys know that 12 men should not travel alone? And uh, these women were followers of Jesus and tra- traveled with the disciples and watched miracle after miracle so she's seen miracle in her own life, and she's witnessed miracle upon miracle. She, they say that she's actually one of the last people at the cross. She helped take Jesus down off the cross, and she's the first at the tomb. But yet she cannot see him, her emotions are dictating her sight. I want to encourage you here this evening. Don't let your state dictate your sight. Because we've all gone through pain and we've all been on a journey and we've witnessed miracle after miracle and yet we still get to the greatest miracle and we can be blinded by the things that fog our eyes. I love this verse in Second. Corinthians, chapter four, verses 17 through 18. And Paul, in all his suffering, gets to this place in prison, and then afterwards he talks about his affliction, and he uses the adjective light. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things which are seen are just temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. You know, just this last week, I'm texting with Chad, and uh, if you're married or in a relationship, you know that sometimes things get like misinterpreted or translated over text and he texts me one thing and he meant for it to be encouraging and loving because that's who he is and I just twisted it a little bit in my head and start emotionally responding and in all caps he responds how did you misinterpret that because what had happened was the kids were, like, throwing things and, well, just one kid throws, but I'm just going to make it plural. So, you know, it's, like, really dramatic in my house. I was hungry and that's, like, not a good situation. And, you know, just everything was going wrong, like, just Obviously, it's like a mess, right? No, see, what had happened was I was I was getting overwhelmed by my circumstance, and I wasn't seeing clearly the encouragement and the beautiful text that my husband was intending to give me. And if you've ever read the book Unreasonable Hope that my husband wrote, you know that in in there. There's a story about how I wake Chad up in the middle of the night. Well, this is somewhat of a trend in our home. There's been several times where I've woken him up and I kick him because that's like the way I wake him up. I don't know. I can't do like a light like touch. I have to kick my husband. But I kick him and I wake him up in the middle of the night because what had happened is I laid down in bed, and I let what I call the rabbit trail in my mind start escalating. Now, if you're a woman, you know what a rabbit trail looks like. See, see, I had laid in bed with the simple thought of, did I lock the front door? And somehow, did I lock the front door ended up, did I turn off the lights? Did I turn off the TV? Oh, if someone were to break into that unlocked door, like, would they come for the kids? Would they run up the stairs? Which kid would I grab? Would I call 911? Would I text my girl and be like, Erica, get out the house. It's go time. You know, it's like you just escalate down this trail, trail, which, which like weapon would I choose in my kitchen? Like kitchen knife, like pan, like bot. Like, I don't, you know, it's like. I'm lost on a trail, and all of a sudden, I'm kicking Chad at God knows what hour, and I'm saying, babe, I just want you to know that if someone were to break into the house, we've got a plan. I know which kid we're going to grab. I know who's going to go blows with me. We're going to take that down, and they're not going to get any of our kids. We're going to, we got this. He's like, can I go back to sleep? See, Mary starts assuming in this story that Jesus had been taken away, that he'd been robbed. And she can't see the miracle that is standing right in front of her. You know, she was faithful to position herself alongside Jesus. And many of us are faithful in our walk. We're faithful to show up at church. We're faithful to serve at church. And if you're part of Zoe, you're faithful to serve at a lot of services. And thank you for that. But what happened was, is she didn't change the position of her faith. And number two, if you're taking notes, I put down a change in position can change Literally, how we see things. And in verse 14, I love this. It says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She had to literally turn herself around to see her creator standing right in front of her. See, just because we're close and just because We've gone, like David says in Psalm 23, the shadow of the valley of death, and we have a story and we've been delivered. And just because we've gone through these things and we choose at the end of Psalm 23 to dwell in the house forever, doesn't mean that we're gonna be tested, doesn't mean that our circumstance is gonna start seeping in. But let me encourage you, don't let your circumstance determine your faith. Don't let your faith determine and, and, your, and your posture and your position be determined by your circumstance, but let your faith determine your circumstance. Let's turn around and position our heart and our posture so that we can literally see Jesus standing right in front of us in every step of the way. You know, I imagine... Mary weeping in front of this tomb, a tomb that represents death, that represents skeletons and dryness and all these things that seem so dead. She's standing weeping, thinking that he is gone, not thinking that what was dead in front of her is now alive. See, we don't just cry or shrug our shoulder cry or ugly cry or... See, we have found ourselves in this room, all of us, weeping, hunched over, painful crying, staring at something that seems dead Hoping for something else. But yet, the life of Jesus is right in front of us. You know, and this is my favorite part. Is Mary turns around to the available grace. And he says the first word after he had been resurrected. His first word after he had been resurrected from the grave, was Mary. He called her by her name. See, her need was of importance to Jesus. And I want to encourage you here tonight, if it matters to you, it matters to God. Your need, your name is important to him. So important that he would come and he would address you by name and say, Mary, look, look at me. See, in all his tenderness and all his beauty, he came down to her need and to love her right where she was at. You know, my sisters and I, I have three younger sisters. I'm the oldest. Any oldest in the house, shout out. We um, are the conquerors. We are in charge in our families. And Chad and I are both oldest. So that's kind of a conflict. And no, my sisters and I, I have three younger sisters. And when we were growing up, my grandma and my great aunt, they decided that it was super cute. Well, it wasn't cute when I became a teenager, that we would in any public setting, like birthday parties, holiday parties, restaurants, literally just on the street, like to strangers, they would make us sing in four-part harmony. Now, I'm not like a I grew up singing in church, but I'm not like a singer. Like f- four-part harmony with four girls that is not cute. So we'd like roll our eyes and do it because it mattered to my grandma because we cared enough that it mattered to her, it mattered to us, so we would do it. Now, in our repertoire, I guess you should say, we had four songs. Amazing Grace, which is an amazing song, Um, so amazing that Amazing Grace is the song that they loved. Um, Lean On Me was in there. I Believe I Can Fly and This Little Light of Mine. Now, if you grew up in church, This Little Light of Mine, the verses, on a Sunday, do you guys know the verses? No, see, no one knew the verses. And we had to sing the verses to This Little Light of Mine. I'm 16, this is not cool. But it mattered to my grandma and to my aunt and we did it because we loved them. Seeing all of his tenderness and his loving mercy, he came down and he sacrificed on the cross for us, for individuals, for your life and for your need. See, my son Winston, when I call his name out of aggravation or frustration, which somehow ends up having an accent, like "listen, get over here, right now." Just kidding. No, it's not that. It's not that dysfunctional. What? He is going to look at me and say no, partially because he is too, partially because he is in rebellion, but partially because he wants to respond to a loving parent. And if I address him with compassion and with love and I say, Winston, honey, can you please come here? He's gonna respond to my tender voice. He's gonna respond to the compassion in my heart. He's gonna recognize the difference. See, we don't serve a harsh God. We serve a loving God that as walking with Mary on her journey and as she gets To the position in the tomb, he addresses her by name. And finally, number four, and I want to invite the worship team to come up. In verse 18, she runs back to the disciples' home. And she says, Peter, John, quit eating your chips and salsa and taking a nap. Because I have seen the Lord. You know, if you think about it, Mary is actually the first woman to preach the good news. She's the first preacher in the Bible to witness the beautiful exchange and the resurrecting power and goes and communicates because she cannot unsee what she has seen see whether it's beautiful or whether it's painful there's a miracle that takes place in every story and in every circumstance and we cannot unsee that Jesus is present in all of it and we have to communicate and we have to tell the great news, the presence of Jesus that is living and acting on our behalf. You know, as I was preparing this week, I wrote down some thoughts of how there has been times in my life that my eyes and my lenses have been fogged by emotions, by circumstance maybe even by a demon that tried to creep its way back in. And I wrote down things that I had struggles with, where God still remains faithful to show up in. I said, when all I see is anxiety, God, you show up with perfect peace. Peace. When doubt creeps into my vision, God, you reveal your trust to me. When bitterness or anger fill my eyes, your forgiveness is peeking through the clouds. When sickness invades our home, we so desperately are looking for your healing. The healing can just come through wholeness, we just have to look. Can you see his goodness when things are gray? Can you behold his mercy in the midst of cruelty? Does hate flood your heart? I encourage you to see his love. See his joy. Darkness is not worth looking at. Can you see him? He is present. Can you see him? He is there. Do you see the beauty on the other side of the season that seems ugly? Can you see the good things he has put in your hand? Do you see him working in you? Do you see him working through you? Can you say, like Mary, I have seen the Lord? Upper lip sweat. (laughs) Stop looking at things that are painful and stop looking. Stop looking at the things that trip us up, that bind our eyes, that cloud us, that ensnare us, that hold us back from how God sees us. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope you were inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.